Hello everyone and welcome to the fifth episode of the Tiger Project. Today we will be talking with Dan Castagano about the climate crisis. We talk about everything from his personal journey with the climate crisis to individual change and how it matters. I really hope you enjoy. Can you please introduce yourself and what is your role in the GCS community? Yes, my name is Dan Castrogano. I have a lot of jobs at GCDS. I'm the Assistant Director of Sustainability. That's a school-wide role. I teach the Sustainability Elective in the high school. I teach a 6th grade history class, an 8th grade history class. I'm a 6th grade advisor. I coached two sports this year and I run the Juggling and Unicycling Club at school. Amazing. So I just want to ask you about your personal journey with the climate crisis and sustainability and kind of um, why you care so passionately about it. Yeah, so it's always been, I've always liked being outside, you know, as a kid. Um, There's a patch of woods in my backyard where I grew up in Ohio. Um, And then I started doing it professionally at school in 2017, but the reason I care the most is actually um, related to a story um, about my wife. So I was married two and a half years ago or so, um, and my wife was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis, which is a chronic autoimmune disease of the colon, Um, and she was pretty sick for a while. So sick... um, that in February 2019, she had emergency life-saving surgery. She was in the OR, and if she didn't have this surgery and it wasn't successful, she was going to die. Uh, it was about as terrible as you think it might it might have been. Yeah. And so we, um, she made it, of course, and you know, um, we're she's like the the toughest person I know and the bravest person I know. But sort of in that experience, awakened this burning passion to make the world a better place, um, a realization of the, the impermanence and, and the fragility of life on earth, not only human life, but, but all life. And so, um, pretty traumatic experience, but, um, that's sort of what, what guides me for my, my work. Yeah, it's really interesting. I did not expect that. That is amazing. Um, and then I'm not, I know about the climate crisis, of course, but like what is going on kind of currently with the climate crisis? Are there any new news that I just don't know about? Yeah, so that's a good question and yeah. something I often talk about is sort of like, what's the state of affairs? Like where do yeah. we stand? It's April 2021. Mm-hmm. Uh, the earth is about 1.2 or 1.3 degrees Celsius hotter than it was before humans started burning fossil fuels. That's about... 2.2 or 2.3 degrees Fahrenheit. Mm-hmm. Um, the IPCC is uh, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, and in October 2018, they said, we have to limit global heating to 1.5 degrees Celsius. Yeah. And if we can't, we should try to limit it to 2 degrees Celsius. Um, we're at like 1.2 or 1.3, and we'll hit 1.5 probably within the next 10 years. Um, yeah. You know, the short answer is... It, we're in, it's pretty rough. We're in pretty rough shape. Um, everything from, you know, collapsing biodiversity to um, melting ice at both poles. Um, it's pretty hard to wrap your head around it. And it's, I'm, I'm often seen as like the bad news guy. 
Yeah. Um, but that's the truth. Um, it is a climate emergency, and yeah. um, that's kind of where we stand a little bit. Yeah, I know that we recently um, got back into the Paris Climate. Paris Paris Climate Agreement. Yeah, and so like I just I know that that's a important um, agreement that you have between different countries. Can you just talk to me a little bit about that and what it means to get back into that? Sure. Yeah. So that was that's part of the United Nations that was signed in 2015 Mm -hmm. by most countries, and the United States signed it. Under the Trump administration, we backed out of the Paris Climate Agreement. Under the Biden administration, we're back in. Mm-hmm. Basically, that's a non-binding agreement saying all countries of the world are going to do everything they can to limit global heating to 1.5 degrees Celsius. It's non-binding, meaning if you don't do that or your plans aren't good enough, then nothing happens. There's, oh. <laughs> there's no economic sanction. There's no global punishment. It's just... Um, that's, that's the agreement. So it's good, but, um, it leaves a lot to be desired, but it's good that the United States is back in. Okay. Yeah. And my next question, um, is kind of about the idea of systematic versus individual change. Because when you look at all these statistics about who produces the most greenhouse gases, it is clear that, you know, the corporations are really the majority of it. Um, so what is your take on that? Yeah, so that's a good question. And that, that gets batted around in the, in the climate sphere, yeah. um, like online all the time, is like, do individual actions matter? And um, my answer is resoundingly yes, is yes. Every single thing matters every single time. And I have a lot of reasons why my philosophy is like that. Mm-hmm. But I think the The biggest one recently comes from this guy named Steve Westlake. He's a PhD researcher in Cardiff in Wales. Mm -hmm. And he's done some research on the social power of not flying. So that's something that I've decided to never do again because of the climate emergency is to not fly. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of privilege baked into that. I'm rich enough that I can fly. 80 to 85% of people on Earth don't have enough money and will never be in an airplane. So he's done this research showing that... um, I don't have the specific numbers off the top of my head, but saying that people are more likely to fly less if they know people who have said this, who have, you know, who say like, I'm not going to fly because of the climate or I'll fly less because of the climate. So people will fly less and people have changed their attitudes on these really carbon intensive activities because minute for minute, that's the, that's the individual, individual action that, uh, c- creates the most carbon dioxide is to is to burn jet fuel in the atmosphere. So so to the individual action, you know systems change. Systems have to change. Yeah. But you know individuals create and maintain those systems, and um, even the social power alone, using this flight example, is really powerful. I think. Yeah, and so just to get into a little bit about your journey about that. So like, how does that work? I guess. Usably, like, do you, if you need to go anywhere far, do you drive, like, family, that type of stuff? I'm just curious. Yeah, totally. So, again, baked in privilege. You know, I grew up middle class, upper middle class. We flew, I've been to Europe, like, five times, Australia, Honduras, Kenya. Um, I guess, I guess, like, a short answer to that is humans like us have been around for, like, 200,000 years. Yeah. 
and flying, like commercial flying, has been around for like 70 years. Yeah. So humans don't need to burn kerosene in the atmosphere. Um, but culturally, especially among in the United States and among people who have enough money to fly, yeah. I, you know, we're both younger than 70 years old, so it's just part of our life. Yeah. So if you're like, oh, I want to travel, or like, you know, I have to visit family, um, that can be pretty hard to hear. Um, but um, humans don't have to fly. And a lot of people, when they hear that, think, oh, you're crazy. Like, um, but that's what I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And then talking more about your personal actions with climate change, like, what do you do on a daily basis um, to help the climate and just to take steps towards sustainability? I know you bike a lot. I know you just talked about omitting planes. So pretty much everything. I'm, yes. I, I'm, a, I'm a huge nerd, so I, I calculate my carbon footprint every oh, yeah. year. So this past year, I know there was the pandemic, but I was under three tons of carbon dioxide equivalent for the first time. Um, you know, if you talk about personal actions that matter the most, don't fly, don't eat meat or mm-hmm. animal products. Yeah. Um, drive less or don't drive at all. Mm-hmm. Um, those are those are kind of the biggest ones, mm-hmm. um, but I kind of, I, it really Elliot like, it drives me every day. Like everything I do is, you know, I think about the climate and I think about other people and mm-hmm. animals and everything. Um, even like, I have to go to the dentist and I just I ride my bike you to the bike? dentist. Like yeah, the like bike to the grocery store. <laughs> yeah, like bike to the grocery store. Bike to the dentist bike to the pharmacy bike to the doctor bike to the public library like um because I, like i'm sort of so stubborn i'm like i can't i can't burn any fossil fuels yeah but how's it end up being like do you still drive or really do you just bike so my wife and i share a car yeah it, it is a fossil fuel burning car it's a honda fit a little yellow one called sunshine <laughs> so she works at the children's school in stamford mm-hmm. um and she has to get there and can't bike all the time. Yeah. But we're really similar. So um, she uses it for work, and then we pretty much don't drive it for anything else. Yeah. And um, so how, like, how has it been? Like, you're obviously very conscious of doing lots of different actions for the climate. How has that been with, like, different members of your family? Um, have they, like, joined you in this thing? or? Yeah, that's a great question, too. So... One of the things I've sort of offered and started doing with family and different groups of friends is just hosting climate cafes or like climate sessions where it's like, hey, hey, everybody I know, let's talk about this because it matters a lot. Um, But it's tough. And I know this happens in a lot of families. Climate is similar to first it's very complicated but first you know like religion or politics um it's um something that a lot of families don't want to talk about yeah some members of my family are way into it and really on board and i have a cousin who works for the united nations um but other members of my family you know either don't want to talk about it or don't think it's as big of a deal as it is or as i as i think it is yes so yeah, kind of going along with that, um, just in terms of climate change, 
and discussing with people and just in general it comes with a lot of emotions and sometimes negative emotions and sometimes overwhelming emotions like how do you deal with that uh one day at a time yeah <laughs> it's a good question um there's a, a psychologist named Dr. Margaret Klein Solomon, and mm-hmm. she has a book. I haven't read it yet, but she just started this website called climateawakening.org. And I've attended one of these sessions, and it's basically an hour with strangers, and you just talk about how the climate makes you feel. And so I did one of these, and there were four other people, and we just talked about how it makes us feel. And for me, the two I most often encounter are anxiety and anger. Yeah. And, um, it's really hard. I have, I really do have days where it does feel overwhelming. It's the biggest problem ever to face humanity. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm one of 7.8 billion humans. (laughs) Um, but I find that, that channeling that into things like teaching Mm -hmm. or doing my own podcast or when I do stuff about it, it makes me feel better. Yeah. Um, and when I talk about it and, and feel connected to people, um, it makes me feel better. So I have people who I talk about climate with a lot. Um, mm-hmm. And and um, and we just kind of uh, attack it from a place of joy and creativity and love and music and dance. and um, Because that's the way we've got to tackle these great challenges of our time. Yeah. Um, and then I also know that I think in your tiger talk, you you might have talked about, like, what you're doing in the future and what that holds. Can you maybe moving somewhere? Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure, yeah. So I'm out of here after this year. Mm -hmm. Um, Love GCDS. I've been here for seven years. Yeah. Um, My wife and I uh, are moving to Burlington, Vermont. Um, We're going to sell the car. It's going to be car-free. We bought a little house under 900 square feet um, right by the bike path. So we're going to live car-free, which I'm so excited about. (laughs) Um, And then I'm not really sure what the future holds for employment for either one of us. So I don't think I'll be teaching full-time next year. Mm -hmm. So I might be working for a climate activist group or try to get into climate journalism or some sort of part-time teaching or go back to school. Um, Something climate-related for sure, but when you kind of shift careers or kind of shift careers, it might be kind of rocky, so... I don't really know what's going to happen next year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, so if someone wanted to bring up a climate conversation with their family, how would you go about that? Because I know it can be tricky. Absolutely, yeah. So this is something we talk about in the sustainability class. The yeah. first project is on climate communication. Is basically you have to teach somebody, whoever you want, about it. Mm-hmm. But as far as... How do you, like, break the ice? Yeah. So you're like, hey, let's talk about climate. Um, it's kind of tricky. And so yeah. I look to another leader. Her name's Dr. Catherine Hayho, mm-hmm. um, H-A-Y-H-O-E. And she has a TED Talk, and it's great. It's called something like, how do you talk about the climate? And she says, start from a place of love. And you, yeah. And you start by asking and listening. And the, the guiding question is you say, what do you value? And if you can connect with somebody one-on-one on what you value, if it's, I value the outdoors, or I value my family, or I value my children, or I value anything at all, um, you can kind of empathize mm-hmm. and talk about, you know, that's great, you know, and here's, 
what I value too. And one of the things that I'd like to do is protect what all of us value together. Yeah. And, and I think we have to take urgent action <laughs> to protect what we, what we love. And I was just wondering if you had any good book or movie or podcast recommendations um, that covers the topics of sustainability and climate change. I have I have a document called Climate Books and a document called Climate Documentaries. So I like, again, huge nerd. I keep track of all this stuff. Mm-hmm. All right, let's see. So for books, here's what I would recommend. For, okay. For individual action, mm, yes. Being the Change by Peter Kalmus. He talks about what you can do. Yes. For sort of optimism and what the future could look like. Yeah. The Future Earth by Eric Holthouse. Amazing. For climate feminism and women authors, essays, and poetry. Beautiful book, All We Can Save. And that's edited by Dr. Katherine Wilkinson and Dr. Ayana Elizabeth Johnson. Those are probably my top three books. Top, <laughs> yes. Top three climate documentaries. Um... I would go with Life on Our Planet by David Attenborough. Mm-hmm. Very moving, very powerful. Um, I Am Greta, about Greta Thunberg, the Swedish climate activist. Yeah. Um, very raw, emotional, personal story. Um, those are probably my top two. I also love The Lorax because it's sweet. Of yeah. course. Um, and there's some great tunes in there, too, so... Well, thank you so much. This is really fun. Cool. Um, My pleasure. I'm so glad I could be on a podcast. And Ellery, thank you so much for inviting me on the show. Of course. You're doing great work. Thanks. Cool. Okay, so that was the podcast episode this week with Mr. Castrogano. I really hope you enjoyed it and maybe even learned a little bit because I know I did. Mr. Castrogano actually has a podcast of his own. It's called Sustainability Guy. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but I will link it in the description. And I really suggest that you check it out because it has some amazing information about sustainability and the climate crisis. Thanks for listening. See you next time.